Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. Robert Winfrey here, your host into this weekly look at the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Uh, we got some stuff to get through today, some of it officially announced, some of it discussed, but there's this weird sort of half line you have to draw between what Dana White is willing to say publicly and what's, you know, more confirmed as far as that goes, so, but most of what I'm going to be referencing is going to be coming directly from him, especially the press conference he did at the end of last night's event. So I'll be trying to figure out some of what he's saying, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. We'll have that event to review, this upcoming Saturday to preview, all that good stuff. Uh, right, before we get too far, please, however you are listening to this podcast, thank you. If you could interact with it a little bit, like, if that's an option, star rating, if that's an option, uh, writing a quick review, if you'd be so kind, or, you know, on other platforms, a comment on the episode, uh, anything you can do to help us out, all right? It helps the algorithm, it helps me to get good feedback on this kind of stuff, so please interact with it a little bit, always appreciated. Uh, You guys know the drill by now. Alright, I'm flying solo, so let's go ahead and jump into this. Last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 39. The final fight for Anderson Silva in the UFC. This was used heavily in the promotion of the event going, coming into it, and all, I shouldn't say all, but confirmed. Uh, Both Anderson Silva and Dana White afterwards said, yeah, this is my last time here. It's a little bit less clear whether or not Anderson will be done fighting entirely. Uh, He might do a Bellator retirement tour kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. But he's done in the UFC. Uh, How long was he there? 16 years? i got to double-check this real fast. Because Anderson debuted... uh, Let's see. In 2006, 14. Yeah, 14 years. Over. Because he debuted in June of 06. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, One of my first truly concrete memories of watching the UFC. Not MMA in general. I kind of, you know, kicked around some of the regional promotions that had limited, you know, know, local access television. Like, hey, it's, you know, 2.30 in the morning, and here's fights. And because I was a horrible, horrible insomniac, I would watch those to try to help me sleep. Uh, So I'd I'd watched, you know, various, I'd found some clips on the internet, uh, to the extent that you could in, in, you know, 06, that was dark days of the internet. (laughs) Um, Finding stuff could be a pain, and you were risking a lot of health and safety as far as your uh, connection could go for it, your computer, but I'd seen some. I know I'd seen some of the UFC events beforehand. I know that because I... One of my other memories, I... This one's a little bit more vague, which is why I don't necessarily have the same emotional attachment to it. But I did watch uh, live Griffin and Bonner at the uh, uh, their finale fight for the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. Did not watch any of the, se- of the television show, because I don't care for reality TV. 
But when the finale was on, I happened to be in a position to watch it. And I did, and you know, that fight is... It doesn't hold up, but your first time watching that, especially at the time, or, you know, roughly close around to its original fight date, it is an all-action fight. And kudos to those guys for that. So, I, I know I saw you know, a UFC event and fight before this, but my that's a bit hazy. I, I remember watching the fight, but I vividly remember watching Anderson Silva debut and just cut Chris Lieben apart like a sur- like surgical. And to this day, whenever people talk about surgical precision with strikers, my mind conjures that bit of Anderson Silva just stepping back a little bit and just landing one, two, three punches all to the head of Lieben and dropping him. It's that, uh, it's that precise. It's that violent. It is. It was breathtaking. And I, yeah, you know, I was uh, a fan for his entire run. And I'm sad to see him go, but let's be honest about this: it's overdue. Now, this is, I mean, look, Anderson officially is 1-7 and seven with one no contest in his last eight fights. Nine fights, sorry. Now, if you want to look at how this is mitigated, there's a few ways. Two of those losses are to Chris Weidman, which, you know, Weidman... Weidman fell off a cliff, man, but he had a really good run-up to the title and a really solid title reign. Then he had the... He beat Nick Diaz. It was overturned. He won that fight. The fight with Michael Bisbing... I don't object to anyone scoring it for Bisbing. Doing it live, I scored it for Silva. Straight up. Uh, Whether that's correct or not, a close fight. He fights Daniel Cormier on about... Five days' notice at UFC 200, up at light heavyweight. Uh, Loses that clearly, but does hurt Cormier with a body shot in the third round. Fights Derek Brunson, wins a decision I don't think he should have. Fights Israel Adesanya, current champion, loses clearly. Fights Jared Cannonier. One of the, you know... Cannonier was, what, number two or three going into the Whitaker fight? He's still one of the five top contenders, I'm sure. Deservedly so. And Kennedy stops him with leg kicks, and here, in the main event of this card, he loses via TKO to Uriah Hall, 124 of the fourth round. Now, how do I say that's somewhat mitigated? Uriah Hall was ranked number 10 coming into this, so the number 10 contender. So if you look at these losses, Chris Weidman, twice, who went on to have a very good title reign. The Nick Diaz fight was what it was. I mean, again, he won on the night. Loses to Bisbing. Close fight. Bisbing goes on to become champion. Loses an incredibly short-notice step up against Daniel Cormier, who, again, is he one of the top five? Is he, you know, one of the Mount Rushmore all-time greats? I don't think so. But 
absolutely one of you know an all timer. And you know, again, loses, but you know, doesn't get finished. Hurts him in the third. Fights Derek Brunson. Wins. I didn't think he won that fight, but you know, it, it was close enough that the argument could be made. I suppose. Fights Adesanya, future champion, best middleweight in the world, loses. Fights Jared Cannonier, one of the, you know, five or six best guys in the world, loses. And now fights the number 10 contender and loses. He's not... He's not doing a BJ Penn where he's losing to Clay Guida in 2019 or whatever. Which is just embarrassing. He's... Oh, God, who's the other one? I almost hesitate to say it this way because, okay, he's not Ken Shamrock fighting God, into his, you know, 50s or 60s and argue, and having fights that are so bad they look like they're works, not fights. Oh, some of those were so bad. You know, he's not like that. He's, or, um, who's the other one that was just sad? Oh, Andre Arlovsky's, Arlovsky's pretty sad at this point, but. You know, he's not one of those guys who's going out there and just embarrassing himself. Because he's not. Look, he won the first round of this fight, arguably won the second. I scored the second to draw doing it live. I think a lot of people leaned Hall. I don't argue with scoring that for either guy. Was winning the third before he got dropped right at the end. So if this was a three-round fight, I haven't seen the official scorecards for this fight yet, but conceivably... He might have edged out two rounds. He won the, I think he won the first unanimously. Uh, so, then, you know, goes into the fourth, gets finished. It was winning the third until he got dropped. And, to be clear, got dropped clean. Uh, and maybe the bell saved him at the end of that round. Then, fourth, gets clipped again in fairly short order. And this time, Hall has enough time to pound him out. So he's he's not going out there and just, you know, collecting a paycheck and not caring. He's not losing to people you've never heard of. He's he's still fighting top tier guys. He's just losing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. Again, he te- I think he technically has one more fight left on his contract, so that's either going to be just paid out by the UFC or he'll wait around for the... Because part of the contract structure and one of the protections for fighters is that if the UFC doesn't offer you a fight within a certain amount of time... Now, to be clear, if they offer you one and you turn it down, the thing kind of resets, but if they don't offer you a fight in a certain amount of time, they have to pay you for that fight. That That didn't happen, so they can't buy you, they can't, you know, give you a contract and then just never offer you fights for two and a half years and you're just screwed. So I I don't know if they'll wait that period out and then pay him whatever they are contractually mandated to pay him and send him on his merry way. Or if they'll do more of a buyout thing where they'll just, you know, throw that money at him somewhat early and release him from his contract. I don't know. Um, So... Point being, Anderson has not 
sullied his legacy. I think this closing streak to his career, while it's not good, you can make, there are mitigating circumstances. Not only his age, I mean, the man was 45 going into this fight last night, the oldest fighter on the roster. There is the level of opposition. He, you know, who's the easiest fight in that group of fights? There's not an easy fight there. Uh, so, there's again, there's somewhat mitigating circumstances, but I heard, it, I think it was Luke Thomas, I heard phrase it like this, and I'm going to agree with it. Silva hasn't sullied his legacy, but he, over the last couple of years, certainly did a good job of helping people forget who he used to be. It's, it's somewhat crazy to think about this, but any newer fan, anyone that came in like you know the at the height of Rousey or McGregor, they probably never, apart from highlight reels, or a personal desire to find the fights after the fact, never got to see Anderson Silva be Anderson Silva. They've seen the highlight of him front kicking Vitor, but. I mean, it's an impressive highlight, but ah, highlights lack context, you know? It's a moment. It's It doesn't encapsulate everything. And for the bulk of Anderson Silva's... He's still the longest reigning UFC champion ever. Uh, if we go by days as champion. He's got the longest winning streak in UFC history. The man won 16 fights in a row. And some of those the most spectacular finishes you'll ever see. I mean, this one gets slept on. But rewatch his finish of Stefan Bonner. That knee to the body he lands as Bonner is rebounding off the fence that finishes him is brutal. I mean, I remember watching kind of in shock when Weidman beat him the first time. There's... You know, there's a contingent of fans, pundits, and whatnot who still can't quite wrap their heads around that loss. Or who, you know, look at between that, the way he was kind of playing around, and then the leg injury, the broken leg that ended their rematch, that still kind of go, eh, I don't know if Weidman's better. Uh, which I think is, I don't find that a t an incredibly tenable position. They fought twice, Weidman finished him twice. That's not terribly complicated. Um, yeah, the supreme irony, I suppose, if, if they did one more fight with Anderson, if they did Anderson and Weidman, the trilogy, you know, today, the way Weidman fell off a cliff, uh, I would still pick Weidman to win that fight, but with Weidman's sudden, rapid decline. That's not as cruel a bit of matchmaking as you could argue some of these other fights were for him. Uh, yeah, I, again, I don't know if Anderson will just be done with fighting. I don't know if he will just be done with the UFC, but again, do a Bellator thing, maybe play around with some... I mean, he's wanted to do other stuff in the combat sports space for a while. I mean, he petitioned Dana White for a while to have a boxing bout with Roy Jones Jr., which would have been it would have been in, it would have been something like that. 
That would have been a weird spectacle. So, uh, he might do something else. I don't know that this is the last we'll have seen of him, you know, in the as a fighter. It's it's the last we've seen of him as a UFC fighter for sure. The way everyone's talked about it, uh, I feel pretty safe in that assertion. And uh, I did not get emo as emotional for this as I did for Khabib for I think a variety of reasons. One of them being the writing has kind of been on the wall for Anderson for a while now. I mean, they could have thrown him some no-name or low, low fight on the card, you know, low fight guy, and have him and given him a good win. They could have. They didn't. They chose to go this direction. The UFC kind of wants Silva. They want him gone, and that's not because they dislike him, but he's not cheap. Do we have the disclosed purses for this one yet? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, he, point being, he is not cheap. I guarantee that. Even if he's not, you know, champion anymore. he's They're still paying him. And they can use that money to fund, you know, 10 guys coming off the Contender Series fighting for pittance. And, uh, I mean, the man's 45. You know how many professional fighters are in their 40s? Uh, it's not a... It, I shouldn't phrase it like that. Do you know how many professional fighters at the highest level are in their 40s? I mean, you know, half of Bellator's entire roster is over 40, but... You know, even, you know, heavyweight and light heavyweight, which, a, which are, you know, like we've said, those fighters age in those divisions differently. You can have more success later in your career for a variety of reasons. Anderson at middleweight was the oldest guy on the roster. Older than Glover Teixeira, older than Daniel Cormier. Jeez, uh, some other old guys. You, know, you, just, you just don't see any, pretty much any athletic endeavor. Guys that are, you know, 40 plus, much less 45, at the highest level succeeding. It's just been time for him to go. And that's hard. You know, it's... Anderson has... I mean, when did he debut? Hang on, I don't mean in the UFC. I mean as a professional. Because Anderson had a fairly significant career before he joined the UFC. Anderson debuted as a professional fighter on June 25th of 1997. So that is a what twenty three year career? Yeah, my math is just all over the place on this. So yeah, Cause yeah, three would get you to two thousand, and then twenty. So he's been doing this for twenty three years. To say nothing of all the time and energy that you have to dedicate. Uh, to being this good from a young age. It's not really an exaggeration to say he's been doing this or some variation of this for his entire life. And to walk away from that, it's 
there's you know, Jeff's fond of mentioning the the kind of vicious addiction cycle that goes into the end of a fighter's career. And he's correct about this. That, you know, you don't want to go out on a loss, but if you win, then, hey, I'm winning, so why would I retire? And you just get stuck in that cycle. There's another component to this, and that's, that is your identity. You know, think about something you've dedicated that much time to. Think about something you've dedicated 20 plus years of your life to doing. And if tomorrow that was gone, you know, there's a very real problem that, and this is not unique to MMA, but you look at other athletes. You know, what do you do with your life when this thing you've dedicated it to is over? Football players talk about this all the time. If you want to be a professional football player, there's, you start young, the vast majority of them are doing this before high school. Then through high school, college, the pros. And however long that lasts, and average, an NFL career does not last long. I mean, the averages get distorted because there are positions that can have greater longevity, but if you break that down by position, how long does the average center or middle linebacker or whatever. Pick your position. You can break that down like that. And some of those you measure in months. Between injury and just not being able to cut it at the professional level, it you might not be there very long. And then it's over. And for, especially if we're talking football, if you're Jeez. You get recru- if you get recruited out of high school, say you play three years before you go, uh, say you don't even graduate, you're good, so you play three years for the draft instead of completing your degree, which is not uncommon, so three years. Say you get two out of the NFL. They get two full seasons. And then you're injured, or you can't cut it, or what have you. You would be, what, 25, 26? Not so, you know, maybe 30. If you're really, really lucky, you'd be 30. And this thing that you've dedicated, you know, geez, more than half of your life to, and to be abundantly clear, the important half of your life that you've lived because what you do from the age, from the time you're born until you're, you know, seven or eight, uh, you don't have a whole lot of conscious choice put into that, you know? You don't do and dedicate a lot of things toward what you get, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So, you know, again, imagine that you've dedicated 20 years to this endeavor. And it's gone. You know, there's a lot of those, a lot of those football players, a lot of the basketball players, MMA fighters, even the ones who have very successful careers. At the end of it, they hold on, not just chasing the glory, not just chasing the money. I'm sure that's part of it, but they, they don't know who they are. Who am I if I am not 
a football player? Who am I if I am not a fighter? And and when you're Anderson Silva and you've dedicated your life to the martial arts, and not just, you know, in some kind of vague uh, ephemeral sense of I've dedicated myself to the martial arts, you've dedicated yourself to being a competitor at the highest level. Who are you when that's gone? And a well-rounded person will have plenty of other things to fall back on. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I've got... But this is a big part of your life. And, I mean, really, is it any wonder that people hang on to it for so long? Uh, I I hope he's gone. I hope he's done. I, I really do. I watched that man in the... Li- you know... Somebody pointed this out. I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been the UFC. But Khabib is younger now when he is retiring than Anderson Silva was when Silva debuted in the UFC. Or younger than, the, or certainly younger than he is when Anderson won his UFC title. So at an age when he should have been declining, he started accelerating and went on this amazing run. And I, I'm not one of the. I'm certainly, I have no problem believing that there were, you know, the man was juicing. He fought in Pride, where there were, there were basically no drug tests. And he fought in the UFC during an era when, you knew when you were getting tested. You were, you know, you knew the two. The, you were going to be tested a couple of times. You knew when it was. It was very, very easy to imbibe substances. Just know when, how they flush out of your system naturally, and stop taking them. You know, three weeks before you're going to be tested. So I don't have any problem believing that he was doing stuff. And moreover, I don't care. I. Uh, I really don't, I'm not going to publicly castigate the guy for fighting in an era, when you know, for fighting in the era that he did. Everybody. Ugh. I, I, don't, I, I just don't hold it against him, that's all. But at that point in time, went on this amazing run, the, the best run in UFC history by, I shouldn't say every metric, by most metrics, the best run in UFC history. And now I've seen him decline, and I don't need to see him decline any further. Uh, the, he he hasn't taken a lot of damage. He was knocked out by Weidman in their first fight. You know, badly broke his leg in the second. But if you look at the Bisbing fight, the Cormier fight. Brunson, they didn't do a lot of head damage. Adesanya didn't even do a tremendous amount of it. Cannoneer stopped him with leg kicks. You know, Hall, yeah, Hall punched him in the head uh, a few different times. But if you look at the totality of his career, he's not taken, he's not, he's not a guy who's been knocked out a lot. Now, given what we know about how even sub subconcussive blows can contribute to the development of CTE and other brain-related issues. That's not exactly a guarantor. But it's a 
pretty good sign. And I, I just, I really hope he doesn't, you know, pull a BJ pen. And I apologize to, you know, that I'm using BJ as the kind of shining example, but he's the, probably one of the highest profile examples I can point to at the moment that will be a pretty good touchstone for everybody. Uh, I don't know what Uriah Hall does next, but... Middleweight's in a weird spot, and this, some of this has to do with what Dana said after the at the post-fight press conference. So we'll get to that when we get to it. But probably the highest profile, certainly the highest profile fight of Uriah win of Uriah Hall's career. Uh, he was number ten coming into this. Give him some ranked opposition, and let's see if this is finally going to happen. Hall's had a lot of starts and stops. If he's really, he's with, because uh, he's with Safe Sayud at Factory X now. If that's the right fit for him and he's really kind of dialed in and everything's set, okay, let's take the training wheels off. You know, it's a weird metaphor to use for fighting, but he's number 10. Let me bring up the UFC's rankings here because who's ranked above him? Uh, let's see. Yeah, Weidman, Gastelum, Brunson, Till, Romero, Hermanson, Cannoneer, Costa, and Whitaker. And then Adesanya, of course. Uh, sure, throw him in there with... Him and Romero would be weird. Maybe the wrong kind of weird. Gastelum already beat him, but maybe he could sell that rematch. Because Gastelum beat him to win that season of The Ultimate Fighter. So maybe you do a rematch between those two now. Uh, Till's still bouncing around looking for a fight. Hermanson, I think, has one coming up. So again, the, the immediate matchmaking is a little bit wonky, but he wants to fight up. I say let him fight up. Let's see if this is, let's see if this is really going to happen or if it's not going to happen yet for him. Uh, all right. I don't have a whole lot on the rest of these, so probably going to go a little bit faster through the rest of this card, which was not, a, let me be clear, not a bad card. Just, I don't know, only a finite amount that I really have a tremendous amount to speak on. All right, so the co-main event, Bryce Mitchell defeats Andre Feely via unanimous decision, 29-28 and then 230-27s. Actually gave Mitchell a 10-8 first round. <laughs> Might have been a little bit... A little bit generous on my part, but it was close enough that I felt okay doing it. Uh, good first round from Mitchell. Got Feely down. Great great passing, great positional control, attacking with submissions. Feely savvy enough to defend. Gets into the second, spends most of the second on the feet. And Mitchell just not nearly the guy standing that he is on the mat. Feely gets the second. We go into the third. Uh, starts out a little bit more on the feet, and then towards the end, Mitchell finally gets the takedown. This time, he didn't pass as much. Didn't even really try. He Once Feely got full guard, Feely didn't put forth a lot of effort to try and get up. I don't know if he was waiting for an for Mitchell to try and pass, try and scramble or kick him off, or he was just too tired at that point. I don't know. But he made the choice to just kind of close up his guard. 
So Mitchell just kind of held him there, beat him up. Uh, towards the very end, Feely started throwing elbows from his back, and one of them opened a pretty nasty cut above, like right on Mitchell's right eyebrow. Not saying it would have stopped the fight if there was a fourth round, but that was a pretty nasty cut. So Mitchell, uh, entertaining guy to watch. His passing game and his top pressure are really good. He needs to uh, at least kind of season up his striking a little bit. I'm not saying the man has to become a world-class striker, but if you look at Khabib's striking, especially once he had finally matured as a fighter, so over his last, you know, three or four fights, his striking is still not, not textbook, but it all works together with his game plan. Mitchell doesn't quite have that, I'm going to strike in this way, to set up my other, the other elements of my game yet. But he's a young guy, so, you know, that will probably come with time and experience. He finally got his camo shorts, or a variation of camo for this fight, so good for him. Uh, he's still undefeated. He was number 15, I think, coming into this. Um, yeah, let's get him some ranked opposition next. Um, let's see, Edson Barboza's right above him. Barboza might be on his way out of the UFC. He's not happy with his compensation. And given his longevity and uh, the opposition he's fought, I don't blame him. Ryan Hall, Dan Ige, Shane Burgos, yeah, any of those guys. So, you know, numbers 11, 12, 13, 14. I don't know if Barboza already has a fight or not. But, yeah, any of those guys. Uh, I would, uh, I, that's, I think, kind of what we should be trying at, at this point. Um, as for Feely, look, Feely's got skills, but he's also been with the UFC since uh, 2013. He kind of is who he is at this point. You know, when you're almost 30 fights into your professional career, and you've got seven years in the UFC. Staging a turnaround at that point, just very, very, very unlikely. Uh, he's still not an easy out, but again, this is kind of where he is. Uh, Greg Hardy defeated Maurice Green via TKO, 112 of the second. This was just your typical walrus fight. Um... I will say this. Hardy finally looked like... Um, I wouldn't say good. Uh, he looks like he's finally in an environment where he's learning and can execute on what he's learning. Uh, he almost missed weight. He would have been the first man in UFC history to miss weight at heavyweight. But his when he first weighed in, he weighed 266 and a half. He was given another he had another hour. Was given another hour, came back at, you know, uh two I think it was like 264 and a half. So it's a big guy and he's got power and maybe, you know, maybe the big super camp like American Top Team is 
I don't know. I've never been to American Top Team, so I don't know how they do with beginners. I don't know how they do with straight up new to fighting guys. But he's with kind of because uh, there was some turnover at ATT recently. Uh, among others, Dean Thomas and Phil Derue left. That's not uncommon for, especially for a big team like that. Uh, personnel turnover, again, not uncommon. But he's kind of he's with I think like Rashad Evans and Dean Thomas now in whatever group they're kind of setting up. And you know, maybe a smaller group is better for him. Uh, because, and I still wouldn't say he looked great, but. Didn't look as bad as he has in the past. Uh, both guys' conditioning was awful. Uh, they were. Um, Hardy dropped Green in the first. Spent a little bit of time trying to finish him, and when and when he couldn't, backed up, made things reset, and they were both gassed. Uh, yeah. Look, Hardy's never gonna have good conditioning. He's he's just too big. You. It's not terribly realistic to ask someone who, especially someone who has to cut down to 265, there's just a real ceiling, there's a very, very real ceiling on how good your conditioning is going to be when you're moving around that kind of mass. Uh, okay, let's see. Next, Kevin Holland defeated uh, Charlie o uh, Ontiveros. Via verbal submission due to a slam slash neck injury. Uh, Ontiveros took this fight on very short notice, overmatched by Holland. Israel Adesanya was cage side for this event, and he started jaw jacking. Holland started jaw jacking at Adesanya. Uh, Holland beat somebody who matters. Yeah. I mean, what's his best win in the UFC? Uh, a split decision over Gerald Mershart that I thought he lost. A split decision over Darren Stewart that I thought he lost. I mean, Holland has skill. But he is punching way above his weight class as far as matchmaking goes if he's trying to make the Adesanya fight right now. Uh, let's see. Tiago Moises defeated Bobby Green via unanimous decision. I scored it for Moises. Um... There was an argument for Green. A good little fight. Sucks for Bobby Green. He he and Kevin Holland were both 3-0 in 2020. It was kind of a race to see who could get to 4-0. Holland did. Green didn't. Uh, that was your main card. As for the prelims, Alexander Hernandez defeated Chris Gritzmacher via knockout. 146 of the first. The finishing flurry here from Hernandez. Uh... Brutal stuff. Not quite as brutal as... There's that famous flurry of punches that Phil Baroni uh, landed that was used in highlight reels for years. Reminded me of that. Not not the same, but reminded me of that. Uh, Hernandez needed to get back on track. Seems to have done so here. Uh, good for him. Let's see. Adrian Yan has defeated Victor Rodriguez via head kick. 246 of the first. Really nice finish from Yanez here. He backs Rodriguez all the way to the fence uh, from the orthodox stance. Lands some good punches. Switches southpaw. He steps back. So it goes from right, or left leg forward rather to just 
without moving his right leg, just you know, kind of steps through back to southpaw, gives Rodriguez the impression that Rodriguez can exit to that side, so this is to Rodriguez's own right. He starts moving that way and just moves into a full-power rear leg head kick. Uh, nice for Mianez. See, Sean Strickland defeated Jack Marshman via unanimous decision, 30-27. Decent little striking fest, but Strickland just better everywhere. Looks good at middleweight. Uh, Marshman missed weight for this. See, Jason Witt defeated Cole Williams via arm triangle, 209 of the second. Williams missed weight for this pretty badly. He weighed 175 and a half for welterweight. Uh, once this hit the mat, Witt was just vastly superior on the ground. See, uh, Dustin Jacoby defeated Justin Ledette via TKO leg kick and punches, 238 of the first. For as long as it lasted, this was a good little fight. They traded punches, they traded kicks, but the leg kicks of Jacoby, Ledette didn't address them. And if you get kicked in the calf a handful of times by someone who knows what they're doing, your leg stops working. Uh, good return from Jacoby. Uh, he had a... He went 0-2 in the UFC several years ago. Uh, finally fought his way back. Good for him. And kicking everything off, Miles Johns defeated Kevin Natividad via knockout. 251 of the third. Nice uppercut from Johns as they were kind of exiting a clinch scenario. Uh, another decent little fight. Uh, your performances of the night, there was no fight of the night, so um, Holland, Anderson, Yanez, and Johns all get performance bonuses. I have no issue with any of those. You know, good on them. Uh, yeah, that was the event. Not a bad night of fights, and, you know, it ended in enough time for me to watch some of the big boxing fights that were on. I, I don't talk a lot of boxing here, but I'm going to try to break down some of the acrimonious barriers. Uh, so I hope you'll bear with me. If not, the timestamps are all listed below. You can skip ahead to the preview of the next UFC event, but I'll, I'll be brief here. Um, I missed Alexander Usyk and Derek Chisora, which seemed like it was a pretty good fight. Uh, Usyk's a little bit closer than you want to see from a guy in Usyk who's trying to make a claim for a title shot. Usyk is, I think, the mandatory to at least one of Anthony Joshua's belts. This one might have gotten him the mandatory for a second. So he's going to get either that big fight or at least uh, go-away money. Uh, I did get to watch uh, Naoya... Uh, Naoya... Ah, God. I practiced this and I still can't say it right. Naoya Inoue. Just go with Inoue. Uh, the monster. He fights at... Uh, he fights at bantamweight. In boxing, bantamweight's 115. So he fights in that 115-118 range. Uh, he knocked the stuffing out of his opponent. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Last name Maloney. Just a beautiful right hand in the... What was it? I want to say the 7th. Uh, Might have been 10th. I don't know. Latter half of the fight. Uh, in a way, is a monster. They call him that for a reason. Dude has serious power. Good technique, fast hands, fast feet. Uh, watch out for that guy. Watch out for that guy. He's really good. Uh, there was yeah, there was the fight between Leo Santa Cruz and Gervonta Davis. Uh, 
our other brutal finish of the evening, Gervonta Davis with a, a left uppercut from the depths of hell to send Leo Santa Cruz to the depths of hell uh, in the seventh round. <sighs> Sixth? Sixth or seventh. Forget me, I can't remember which round. Uh, doesn't really matter. Uh, that was a pretty good fight. Santa Cruz had some success. Both men were digging to the body. Santa Cruz has tried to keep the pace high, keep the action high. That's He's an action fighter. And there were points when that got to Davis a little bit, but the power of Javante Davis is a very, very real thing. Um, I hope Santa Cruz got a nice big payday from this because he probably shouldn't be fighting this high. I mean, this fight was at 140, I think. Because Davis fights a rank up from... Teofimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko, and they were fighting at 135. So yeah, this would have been the one four, uh, right around 140, I think. I, I forget me, I'd have to double check that. Um, and Santa Cruz started his career at bantamweight in boxing. He's a and Santa Cruz is a very tall, very long fighter, but he's not a very big fighter. Uh, Davis, you know, Davis might even wind up moving up in weight from where he is. You know that he's a He's a thick guy for that weight class. And that's not the easiest cut in the world for him. Uh, but you know, a couple of so some really good boxing fights. You could look up both of those. Uh, again, both the Inouye Maloney fight and Davis Santa Cruz. Really good fights with really, really beautiful finishes. A uh, little bit of talk maybe developing about potentially Teofimo Lopez moving up to fight Javante Davis would be a Great fight. Would be a great fight. Uh, and again, Usyk is either going to get uh, Joshua or go away money. Uh, I don't even know that I want to touch on uh, some of the stupidity that uh, Deontay Wilder has kind of come out with this last little bit. Accusing Tyson Fury of having manipulated the gloves claiming that Mark Breland may have spiked his water. For the record, Breland was the guy who threw in the towel for uh, Wilder in the second fight between Wilder and Fury. Mark Breland was the only guy in that corner who viewed Deontay Wilder as a human being. Because he's the only one who made the sane call for the sake of the human being that was getting battered badly by Tyson Fury in that fight. Uh, Fury might have hit Wilder harder than we thought if he's coming to some of these conclusions. That's... He's, it's just sad at this point. The man's come out with every excuse. He parted ways with Brayland, the only guy who actually cared about his well-being in that corner. Uh, just sad. So, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a look into the world of boxing. Again, I don't talk a lot about it, but we don't need the acrimonious barriers between boxing and MMA. I'm not saying you have to like both. I do, but can we at least tone down the some of the, uh, and this hasn't been as bad lately, but it's still kind of there. Can we just stop with the acrimony? It's not necessary. We can respect each other's sports, uh, even if you're not a big fan. All right, so moving on. UFC on ESPN Plus 40 will happen this coming Saturday. Main event... 
Finally, in theory, Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira, the UFC has tried to put this fight together three times. This is the third. Uh, I think they've both tested positive for COVID. Yeah, Teixeira tested positive the first time, and then uh, Santos the second. Uh... Normally, this would crown a number one contender, but uh, some stuff came out of the post-fight press conference last night about uh, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, maybe wanting to go up to 205 and challenge Blahovich. Uh, that's the direction things are working, but yeah, uh, so I'll talk about more about that later. If that fight doesn't come through, this would crown your number one contender. Um, so... Certainly something to be aware of as far as that goes. Uh, the fight itself could be interesting. Glover Teixeira gets by more on his grappling than his striking. His striking is a lot of the same combination over and over again. And it's... If you watch his fights, it's a lot of right hand, left hook. It's a lot of the 2-3. That's kind of what he does with his hands. It's that combo, that's what he's got. If you're lucky once in a while, he'll throw a 3-2. Uh, just not a very... He's got and he's got power, let me be clear. But not, yeah, not a very diverse striker. He's got heavy top pressure, good passing game. Like, that's where he's kind of been doing his work these days. He's on a four-fight winning streak. I kind of thought he lost the Krylov fight, but the others he's finished. Submitted Robertson, submitted Kutalaba, had the split with Krylov that I kind of leaned Krylov. Uh, and I think I did at least. I'd have to double check. And then uh, the the TKO of Anthony Smith earlier this year, that, that fight. Uh, whereas Santos, we haven't seen Tiago Santos since he lost to John Jones. Uh, I am not one of those people who thinks that he won that fight. I've watched that fight a couple of times. I have never scored it for Tiago Santos. The bigger news coming out of that was that he destroyed both of his knees over the course of that fight. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, his left leg, he tore the LCL, PCL, MCL, and meniscus, and a cracked tibia. And his right leg was a partially torn ACL. Uh, yeah, he, his, yeah, that poor guy. Like that's that's bad. So uh, that fight took place in July of nineteen. That's a shockingly fast turnaround for that. Actually, I mean that's because they they started trying to make this fight in September. So that's only, that's not even 18 months. It's a really fast turnaround. Um, if Santos's knees are not completely shot, if there's no lingering issues related to those, he should probably win this fight. He's younger, he's got a lot of power, he's got good takedown defense. I mean, he should win this fight, but 
those kinds of knee injuries, man, you'll never you never know for sure until you get back in the cage. So won't be shocked if Teixeira pulls it off. And you know, normally you're not this would crown your number one contender. Santos knocked out Jan Blahovich when they fought. because uh, they fought I think they were at light heavyweight actually. Uh yeah. yeah that was the fight that got Santos's title fight. So he's got a win over the current champion. And I would favor him to beat Blahovich if they fought again. If he assuming he does he doesn't look, you know, too damaged and he beats Tashera, I kind of would favor him in a rematch with Blahovich. I think that fight would probably go kind of the same way. Uh, but again, whether or not that happens, still some moving parts, but decent fight. It's kind of all downhill from here. Oh, I shouldn't say that entirely. I can kind of say it. <laughs> um, Co-main event, Andre Arlovsky and Tanner Bozer. Who could possibly care? Um, Andre Arlovsky coming off of a win. Uh, but Bozier's actually a pretty decent fighter. And at this point, any heavyweight that's pretty good should beat Andre Arlovsky. So, Bozier. Uh, middleweight fight between Ian Heinish and Brendan Allen. Allen's looked pretty good in the UFC thus far. He's won three in a row. Uh, the win over Kyle Dawkins was pretty solid. I mean, he's finished Tom Breeze. Submitted Kevin Holland. He's pretty legit. Uh, Heinish, you know, also legit. I think you're probably more likely to know the name of Ian Heinish. Uh, stopped Gerald Mershart his last time out. It, this is a pretty solid fight. I'm going to lean towards Allen, but Heinish might just be too much for him right now. And kicking off the main, the main card, Claudia Gedalia and Jan Shaunan. Um, Gedalia's still at strawweight. Coming off of a split decision win over Angela Hill. Uh, Hill could have won that. I scored it for Gedalia, but Hill kind of took off the third round. I still use that fight as my very easy example of uh, Angela Hill's cardio issues. You get outworked in the third round by Claudia Gedalia. There's a problem with your cardio. Uh, whereas Shaunan uh, hasn't lost in the UFC. Jeez. She's she's 5-0 in the UFC. Beat Karolina Kovalkiewicz in February. Um, yeah, this is a big step up for Xiaonan. Um, okay, her family name is Jan. Okay, so it's listed... So she's just being listed here as uh, the way she would normally in China. Okay. Okay. Wanted to make sure. I just wanted to double check that. Um, I'm going to lean towards Jan, actually, which is weird. I don't pick against Gedalia all that often, but I don't know. I think the weight cut to Gedalia is starting to get to her consistently, and her cardio issues are still very much in a, very evident. 
Alright, as for the prelims, let's see. Trevin Giles will fight Bevan Lewis. Uh, Giles, two and er, three and two in the UFC. Uh, Lewis, I think, has uh, coming off a win in the UFC. He beat Daquan Townsend. I'm, I'm okay picking Giles here, but uh, yeah. Hani Barcelos and Khalid Tahop. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Uh, Barcelos has not yet lost in the UFC. He's 4-0 with them. Been out for a while. He beat Saeed Nurmagomedov in December of last year. When's he been out? He's supposed to fight in March before the pandemic. Uh, okay, so that might... Honestly, that might just be uh, travel-related with you know how uh, how Brazil kind of exploded with COVID for a while there. Um, and Taha. Let's see. He failed a drug test and missed weight for his last fight. Jeez. Never a good combination. Uh, okay, it was for a diuretic. Okay. Uh, he's claim he claimed that was from his eye medication. He took medication to reduce uh, inflammation and swelling. Eh, plausible, I suppose. Um, lean towards Barcelos, but again, that's a good fight on paper. Let's see, Max Griffin will fight Ramiz. Uh, oof going to butcher this gentleman's name. Brahmija? Brahmija? Brahmaj? Brahmaj. Brahmaj? Brahmaj. Going with Brahmaj until I hear otherwise. Uh, this is the UFC debut for Brahmaj. I'm 99% sure. I'm going to double check just because I can. Uh, the bout order for this is still in a little bit of flux. They've had some fights fall out and whatnot, so. Some of these come out differently than they're listed. Uh, my apologies. Yeah, this is Brahimaj's UFC debut. Other uh, fights out of Fortis MMA. Might be Fortis, not Factory X. Yeah, Fortis has safe, is safe Sayud's camp, not Factory X. Factory X is Mark Montoya. My apologies, I got that wrong earlier. Is anybody screaming at me? My bad. Uh, I didn't feel okay picking Griffin here. Uh, he's you know, lost more than he's won in the UFC, but by a fair margin, too. Jeez. Three and what? Six? He's three and six in the UFC. I'm gonna change that actually and go with Brahimish. <laughs> uh, featherweight Darren Elkins will fight Luis Eduardo Garagori. When was the last time Elkins was in the cage? Losing to Nate Landwer uh, back in May on a four-fight losing streak. Let's see, his opponent. Um, Gregory is uh, Uruguayan. 
Lost to uh, Ricardo Hamos. The Bond and I probably an Elkins win here. Uh, that said, if he loses this, time to cut bait with that guy. Uh, heavyweight Marcos Rogerio de Lima will fight Alexander Romanov. Romanov had a successful UFC debut, I believe. Yeah, he beat Roque Martinez. I'm okay picking Romanov here, actually. Uh, Delima, you know, the more credentialed UFC fighter, but Delima hasn't looked great. He's been trading wins and losses. Got he got. You lose to Stefan Struve in 2019, you got a problem. So he might he might prove a bit too much for uh, Romanov here, but I'm okay picking Romanov. Uh, we have Felipe Colares and Gustavo Lopez. It's not listed here. Oh, that might have fallen out recently. Okay, yeah, it looks like Kolaris tested positive for COVID, so. Yeah, all right. Again, some of this in flux a little bit. Uh, there was supposed to be a fight between Giga Chikadze and Jamie Simmons. I think that got moved. So we were all supposed to have uh, Carlos Diego Fajaya and Drew Dober here. Uh, sorry, no, that was supposed to take place in May. Uh, this, uh, yeah, Ferreira pulled out of that one. Fajaya pulled out of that of this fight this time around. Uh, some kind of illness. Uh, okay. So that's kind of what that looks like at the moment, uh, to the extent that I'm able to find that card. What the UFC's website has to say. They've still got Colares and Lopez listed as happening. I don't mind picking Colares there kind of in the dark. Anyway, whatever that card looks like come Saturday, I will be covering it over in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So please feel free to stop by, say hello, leave a comment. I always appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, I, again, I know there's bigger sites. I know that if all you're looking for is MMA content, there are some better ones, but I put in a lot of effort. So, hopefully that shows through in the finished product for my work. Alright. Um, let's move on to the news here. Let's start with the super fight in theory that's being worked on between middleweight champion Israel Adesanya and light heavyweight champion Jan Blachowicz. <sighs> know what to feel about this one. 
I'd much rather watch Adesanya Whitaker too. Start there. This is not the fight that I want for either guy, really. Um, that said, Dana kind of said that Whitaker didn't seem like he was interested in fighting Adesanya again right now, and that's kind of what pushed him in this direction. I don't know how true that is. It's, you know, whatever, whatever value you want to give Dana White's comments, how much weight you want to give as far as truth goes. That said, Whitaker beating... Cannoneer did kind of open the door for some shenanigans here. There's not another top contender right now that Adesanya hasn't beaten. Uh, there's... Jeez, let me think. I mean, again, there's some guys coming up, there's some fights coming up that you know, could maybe nudge people closer, but... I, and to be abundantly clear, I am not at all accusing him of having cleaned out the division. But if the next guy up, in this case Whitaker, isn't really interested in that fight, either needs to heal up after the Cannoneer fight or whatever, assuming that's even true, he's and and he's already beaten Whitaker decisively. Um, it just opens the door for something like this, and uh, I mean. Would Adesanya be leapfrogging over, you know, the winner of Santos Teixeira? Yeah. Does anyone really care? Look, Blahovich is down for this, and I, to be abundantly clear, I don't blame him. Adesanya is a much bigger star. Fighting Adesanya will get him, will generate more money for Blahovich. And I, I mean, if I don't favor Blahovich against Adesanya. I would not be surprised if he won. And I haven't given this a tremendous amount of thought in tape study, how those two match up in particular, but Blahovich has power, both of, you know, in his punches and his kicks. He's got a good grappling, he's a good grappler. He hasn't had to lean on it a whole lot lately, but he's pretty good on the ground. And the man's not champion by accident, but he's also not demonstrated anything like the level of sophistication and ability that Adesanya has. Now, that's an incredibly high bar, all right? There's a, the vast majority of the UFC roster has not demonstrated anything like the sophistication that Adesanya has. But that's also part of the reason why you tend to favor Adesanya in a lot of fights. I would favor Adesanya over Blahovich. That's kind of where I am right now. Might feel differently after I, if the fight gets made and I do some, you know, real kind of study and thought on it. But I wouldn't favor Blahovich over uh, Adesanya. I wouldn't favor Blahovich over Santos, assuming Santos beats Teixeira in this in similar fashion to how he's fought in the past. Now, I te now again, would not be surprised if Blahovich won either of those fights, but I don't favor him for very different reasons. You know, Adesanya and Thiago Santos are very, very different fighters. But if you're Blahovich and you're looking at this, you know, do you take either a rematch with a guy who knocked you out? Or, you know, Glover Teixeira, who's a tough out, 
and no in a fight that no one will really care about? Or do you continue to be slightly not favored stylistically, but get at least the paycheck you would get from fighting a guy with you know burgeoning global superstardom like Israel Adesanya? Seems like a fairly easy bit of calculus to me if you're if you're Blahovich. And the size might prove to be a factor, you know? He might be able to kind of bully Adesanya around with the size difference in ways that we, uh, you know, can't necessarily account for on paper. So maybe, you know, again, bigger paycheck? I don't, I don't blame Blahovich for being on board for this. Again, do I favor him? Not really, but... Uh, I think my only other kind of objection to this would be it's very obvious what the UFC is doing. Well, I shouldn't say what the UFC is doing. The UFC is kind of trying to lay out a plan whereby Adesanya wins. Then John Jones comes back and you get the Jones-Adesanya super fight for the light heavyweight title that Jones just kind of handed over. That's kind of the roadmap the UFC is trying to follow. Whether every whether reality plays along with that or not remains to be seen. Uh, John, oh god, he released that vi- his like security camera video of him chasing someone off of his property when John is carrying a shotgun. Of all the people, of all the properties you could try to vandalize, why, oh why, would you choose John Jones? The man not only could beat you to death with his bare hands, uh, he's not shy about the fact that he's armed. <laughs> uh, how stupid or impaired do you have to be to think that breaking into the onto the property of John Jones is a good idea? Just throwing it out there. Jeez. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. That fight might not come together. Who knows? But the UFC wants to move in that direction. Adesanya wants to move in that direction. If Whitaker's not saying, I want next, if that's true, and also, for whatever reason, if Whitaker just wants time to heal, if he doesn't want to fight on the schedule the UFC wants to maintain, whatever. If Whitaker has kind of voluntarily, of his own, voli- of his own volition, said, I will not I'm not going to fight Adesanya, either on a timetable that the UFC or Adesanya wants, or at all for whatever reason, for any for this period of time. Again, injury, personal, whatever. I don't care. If he said, uh, I'm, I'm not available, this fight is not available, if the rematch is not available for whatever reason, then okay. There's, there's not really a... Again, who's getting screwed there? Cannoneer? Cannoneer's got a broken wrist. Whitaker broke his arm with those ki- with some of his head kicks. Cannoneer's going to be out for a while. Hermanson, who got smoked by Cannoneer. Uh, Hermanson's got a fight coming up, I think. So, there, again, there's some other guys, but there's nobody else other than Whitaker who's got a fairly ironclad case for a title shot. So, door's open as far as middleweight goes, and light heavyweight is a wasteland. No one's... When I say no one cares, look, you put Blahovich and Santos, let's say, as a pay-per-view. 
I mean, without a real... They might even wind up having to co-main event to a bigger fight. That's just where 205 is right now. And it won't always be there. And maybe Blahovich has a good enough run to see the division have a bit of a resurgence. He might. But I can only call it as it is right now. Right now, not a good division. Uh, Alright, we have some more. This one's... This news has been confirmed. The UFC announced it on the broadcast last night. Apparently, the Ultimate Fighter's coming back. Okay. I don't know anyone that wants this. Now, I'm not a... I do not have a large social circle, okay? So, I'm asking you guys. I asked this a couple of weeks ago. My Twitter... I'm at WinfreeMMA. W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. If I... If you want this show back, if you are excited about the return of The Ultimate Fighter, let me know how wrong I am. I want to hear it. Because I don't know anybody that wants this. I, not just personally, I don't know any pundit that wants this. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm sure, you know, now that it's been announced, there will be some glowing fluff pieces put out by people on ESPN. Any number of media personalities over there that will toe the company line as far as this goes. And to be further clear, uh, if I was working for ESPN and they had a major relaunch of this property, and I'm being, again, if they're my boss, I might object to saying things I don't believe. But I'm not going to be wildly critical of it. It's a good way to lose your job. But just let's see what, you know, again, some of the people employed by ESPN say have to say about this in the next weeks or so because, look, I don't care. It's only going to be available streaming on ESPN+, Plus, so at least it's only there. I won't watch... Uh, I probably won't even watch the fights. There are no coaches announced. Uh, there's, they're doing. Apparently, they want to shoot in November, so later this month, and they want to start airing it in March of 21. Um, look, the Ultimate Fighter hadn't mattered for a really long time. That was well known. The ratings were going down. It it just wasn't a very valuable IP. I still think the only value it has is as a as an addition to a streaming platform, which is to say not a whole lot. I don't know what ESPN is paying these people extra for it. I hope not a lot. I I just don't think it's a valuable property. That said, I will point out I saw a, a few other people have pointed this out, okay? This has been brought up a lot over the last few uh, weeks and months. The regional scene for MMA is basically non-existent right now. There's some places that are starting to come back a little bit, but for the most part, it's, uh, it, it's, it's gone. It's, and it's been gone for, you know, months at this point. And in that bit of reality, that that reality, the reality of the entire regional MMA scene being shut down, 
basically. Does, with that reality, does a show like The Ultimate Fighter have a place to help fighters who are not with the UFC in terms of getting paid, in terms of you know getting training, getting some more experience under their belts, etc.? And I think on... I think taken in that way, there is an argument about potential value that the show might bring. That now you then have to counterbalance that against whatever fight the UFC puts off for, you know, three months while this thing gets filmed and aired. Because that's what they're going to do. Whether or not they can even make it happen logistically. Uh, So, we'll see, but... They've been out there trying their darndest to get the Ultimate Fighter back. again. I think the only person who wants this back is Dana White. I, I don't know. I don't know anyone personally, and I don't know anyone in the professional sphere who has said anything positive about this potentially coming back ahead of the announcement. I'm sh- Again, I'm sure that now some people who are paid by ESPN are going to change their tune about that. But I prefer to let the the stances that people had in its absence be what be a better reflection of reality. Nobody really wants this. Nobody cares. The show hadn't been relevant for years. It was important at one point in time. That point in time has passed. It should stay dead my opinion. Um, that said, if if ESPN is paying the UFC a fair bit of money for this, I don't blame the I don't blame the UFC for making more money. I will not blame them for that. Uh, the fact that Dana's been on a crusade to try and save this stupid thing since because when they announced the ESPN deal, it was very explicit that the Ultimate Fighter's not coming over with us. We don't want it. ESPN Plus launched, uh, and then you know, over the last couple of over the last couple of years, especially the last you know twelve twelve months or so, the landscape has changed. Things might have changed internally. I don't know. Maybe Dana's persistence about hey 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 hey, I, I want to bring this back. Hey, come on, come on, come on. Maybe they're paying again. I hope I don't hope they're I hope they're paying very little because I don't think it's worth much. But again, I unless I am shanghaied into covering it, I will not watch. Uh, I have so much, so many other things I would rather do with my time than watch crappy reality show TV with a probably mediocre fight tacked onto the end. I don't care. I just don't care. Uh, all right. Let's have a uh, last thing, I suppose, here. Uh, Also from the post-fight press conference last night, Dana White uh, seems to think that McGregor-Poirier is all but a done deal. Um, Both Poirier and McGregor have sent out cryptic tweets. Every time, I think Poirier, every time he signs a contract, or signs a bout agreement, sends out a diamond emoji. McGregor sent out one. They both see it does seem to kind of be a done deal at this point. Um, one of the other things that came out, and this kind of dovetails into this, 
Dana's been making the round saying that he doesn't think Khabib is as retired as it kind of sounded he was. Uh, he thinks Khabib might go for 30-0. Now, whether whether that is the final end point or not uh, kind of remains to be seen. Again, his father's wish was, his father's career path for him was get to 30-0, retire. So, we'll see. I do think if there's only one more, if there's one more, I think there's only one more. So, maybe we get one more fight out of Khabib. So the point being, the UFC is not vacating the lightweight title yet. So this will, if Poirier McGregor happens, it will not be for the UFC lightweight title. They might tack an interim belt on there, maybe. But that would be it. They're not, uh, Khabib is still the champion. Again, whether he chooses to remain retired, whether that was just the emotion of the moment, and... Again, not only the emotion of the moment. He'd clearly talked about this with his family and friends. He'd clearly thought a lot about it. And, again, if he was going to do one more, it would just, I, I firmly believe it would just be one. I really don't think we're going to get Khabib, you know, sort of retiring every fight for the next, you know, four fights. I, I just don't see that. Um, maybe being lured for one more, I could see that. But, uh, yeah, after that, 30 and 0, it's a nice round number, isn't it? Uh, so, we'll see. But Poirier McGregor seems to be kind of a done deal for January. Good. It's a good fight. Do a lot of business, mon monetarily wise. Uh, good fight for both guys. Winner. Uh, that would be two for Poirier since the loss to Khabib. Uh, that would be Hooker, and if he wins, McGregor. Could very easily make a case for him being the next title contender. Much as I hate to say did O'Connor, did O'Connor, his star power coupled with a legitimate win over a top guy at lightweight. Yeah. Yeah, they could do it. Um. Again, there's a lot up in the air with uh, what Khabib's doing. Uh, if this fight happens without any kind of title attached to it, uh, that does open up some questions about either who would be next for Khabib. Do you try to finally do the Tony Ferguson fight again? Do you do the super fight between George and Khabib? Uh, if... If Khabib's next fight is not against a currently ranked contender, and you're not slapping the belt onto this fight, uh, or an interim belt onto this fight, do you try to attach it to another one? Do you Are you intimating that Khabib's next fight is going to be a defense of his lightweight title, again, against either a ranked contender or something like that? So a lot of stuff up in the air, but Poirier-McGregor 2... Great fight. Hope it happens. Uh, I do kind of lean Poirier this time. Uh, the way he's adapted his game recently. That said, Connor might beat him again in a very similar fashion, and I would not be surprised. Alright, let's check Twitter one more time, see if anything crazy happened while we were <laughs> recording here. No, 
nothing new. So let's go ahead and get into plugs. Um, Mark Radulich, David Wright, and uh, not David Wright. Mark Radulich, um, Andrew Graham, and I got my Canadians mixed up. We'll be doing a live uh, pod, a live stream, uh, live prod, uh, podcast for election night 2020. Mark and I. Uh, the three of us got together in 2016. We had a lot of fun. So we're doing it again. So November 3rd, that's election day here in the United States. Uh, you can tune in. If you're sick of the talking heads and the, uh, the mainstream, uh, you don't want to listen to them. You don't want to listen to, the again, the same old tired people. You can listen to us, or at least have us on partially as you follow the election results if you care. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, other than that, a little bit uh, pretty. I don't think I have too much else. Uh, Mark, Alexis, and I got together to review The Witches. That is on HBO Max this last week. So you can tune into that. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about that one. And yeah, I'm. I don't have a whole lot. So just my normal. Stuff Saturday coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. My review of MLW's Underground show that they're re-airing, uh, such as that is. And Fridays I cover SmackDown in the Wrestling Zone. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I've got. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. I don't care. I will see you next week. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and be